we're recording, I have told you, it's all up to you now. I know you're not even allowing me to embarrass myself today. Well, no, I just hit record so you can continue to embarrass yourself. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the whole point of the podcast, I suppose, right? I just want to make it clear so people don't think, I think some people think I'm a terrible dick to you. We do edit together, so like, you do get to see what goes out there. Oh, yeah. I have total control over the ways I am humiliated on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So and I will say I've there have been moments from both of us where one of us has been like, we should keep that. And the other one's like, no, I don't want that. And then we're like, we're keeping that. The funny thing is, is that the things you want to keep are always like goofy, borderline, like clownish humor crap. Dial it back a bit. They're gems. <laughs> yeah, yeah perfection especially when it's you showing your goofy side because you know you like to like bust out your thesaurus every here and there that's what you and andrew say but i don't think that's a fair assessment you don't think it's fair that you own a thesaurus (laughs) yeah what, what are you trying to say you don't think that you have a good vocabulary well i don't like being accused of using a thesaurus it's not an accusation (laughs) but you do have a lot of ten dollar words i guess i don't even use them correctly they just i like them yeah okay eight dollar words then fine okay yeah 30 percent off yeah so what were you saying i like to cut out the goofy stuff Yeah. yeah well no 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 you like to keep the goofy stuff Right. And then there are instances sometimes where you're like a little emotionally raw and vulnerable and you're like, I don't think we should keep this. I think it might be offensive to the subjects of my story. And I'm like, no, 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 Tony, we have to keep it. So you think that I'm just saying that to like hide the fact that I don't want to be emotionally vulnerable? No, I think you are genuinely concerned about like incriminating the people who are involved or who partake in the most vulnerable examples of of your life. But it it just seems weird to me to to talk about an experience involving other people without them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Because like there's three sides to every story. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You've told stories where you've felt like an exceptional amount of jealousy and sort of acted upon it in ways that embarrass you in hindsight. And you told stories about like being vulnerable in the pursuit of intimacy with a stranger potentially. But all of the all of these things are things that other people have gone through and can completely relate to your reactions to them because you're generally a balanced and sensible person. And it's like, just because you're experiencing emotions strongly in one direction doesn't mean that you're like not a reasonable person or something. I feel like I didn't say that properly, but... Like you didn't have your thesaurus with you when you said it? Yeah, I I was looking around like my periphery for my thesaurus and I dropped it on the ground. And you refused to get a grabber, so that's on you. Well, I just hate grabbers. I don't want to trigger you, grabber talk. Yeah. The last episode, we were you were talking a lot about learned helplessness. I don't know if we ever used that phrase, but just the idea that um, it's easy to kind of just let the people around you fuss over you and or like come up with solutions for you and just not really think about those things on your own or take the initiative or be proactive. Mm-hmm. And I think I realized what mine is. 
Because you said that you don't think I'm that kind of person. Okay, so what is your comfort zone? What my thing is, my learned helplessness, is when I'm out, not even out, but with people, and we're all having drinks, I never think to ask someone to help me with my drink. So I end up getting to the end of the night realizing, oh, I've completely forgotten my drink this whole night. And I'm just, I think subconsciously, I'm just waiting for them to be like, oh, you want a drink? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And I never f- remember to be like, hey, can you grab my drink? I don't know. I would define the cripple comfort zone as something that also marginally inconveniences your attendant care that you're not really overly conscientious of because you've never been forced to think about that particular need. But in your case, like thirst would generally remind you that you have a drink and you should drink it. Well, it's not that I'm not thirsty. Yeah. It's just that like we're all socializing and I'm not, because I don't know, when I'm drinking alcohol, I'm not thinking in terms of drinking to because I'm thirsty. I guess not. But it, at the same time, it's not a gross inconvenience for Justine to hold a drink to your face. No, and I don't think it is. And I, I think in general, people get annoyed that I forget to ask because they think, and maybe part of it's true, subconsciously at least, they think that I'm purposely not asking because I don't want to be an inconvenience. And that is a genuine thing we talked about. I am conscious of trying to not be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But that never really feels like something that I would feel overwhelmed asking someone for. I just often forget. But it's a conversation that comes up probably every time I'm with a group. They'll be like, hey, uh, you're not drinking. Why don't you remind me to give you a drink? They think that it's because I don't want them to or that I don't want to be annoying or whatever. But I, I just never think about it. And you're like, you're probably like that with food too. If you want to snack on pub food or whatever, just like relax with the group. Food is a bit more conscious because feeding me feels cumbersome mm-hmm. even to me. Yeah, Eating isn't even that easy for me. And so if I'm in a group socializing, I generally don't always want to eat because then I feel like I'm just focused on chewing and swallowing safely. And then I'm not really like engaged. Like I I envy people who can just like have a bite of food, swallow it down, have a conversation, have another bite of food. But for me, if I'm eating, that's all that's happening. So are you saying you wish you could talk with your mouth open? How else do you talk? Talk with your mouth closed? (laughs) You mean talk with my mouth full? But that no, I don't wish because that's gross. I do I do know people who uh I don't know if it's like a cultural thing, but I I definitely run into people who chew with their mouth open and that is disgusting to me. Really? So like if you had an option between okay, so let's say you Okay, wheel breaker. Yeah, wheel breaker. Wheel breakers. We're already off the rails. <laughs> you get to be able-bodied, but you always make, you're just really you know, like sloppy and loud chewing, like disgusting. And your mouth is open the whole time. Food's flying out. But then is, but if the other, if the converse of that or whatever is the situation where with, with every chew, 
you have to think about what you're doing, then I definitely would fucking just eat obnoxiously. Because then it's the same thing. I'm still just eating at home alone. <laughs> well, not necessarily. You can keep people a certain radius away from your mouth. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to. That is ridiculous. Because I know how grossed out it makes me. So I wouldn't want to subject my friends to that. You could apologize while you're chewing. And just be like, sorry, I used to be disabled. This is all I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They would understand. That's true. They would understand. Yeah. How badly do you just want to go to town on a full plate of nachos? I fantasize about being able to, being able to open my mouth and put a burger inside. Oh, man. Just the, like like the, the thickest burger patty. The, the idea of biting through all the different textures. Oh, yeah. Instead of just like, I'll have a bite of the patty now. Okay, now I'll have a bite of the jalapeno on top or whatever. And then you have to imagine all the elements of your meal like being in your mouth at the same time they, because they can't all be there at once. Even cheese and crackers. My friends are like, all right, here's the cheese. Okay, <laughs> wait, you ready? Here's the cracker. <laughs> yeah, that is depressing, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you had a like a better relationship with food and eating. The weird thing is I used to actually be such a picky eater when I was when I first moved into foster care, like I was notoriously bad. I would eat bananas, ketchup chips, and a certain shape of noodles with plain red tomato sauce on it. Wow, that is very picky, but I think it's more a reaction to your mom making you burnt porridge in the morning every day. No, no, no. This is pre all of that. Pre? So your biological mother was an even worse cook? My biological mother, I don't even know. Not that mothers I, are obligated to be good cooks. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think that she was so hyper aware of the fact that I was a sick, disabled kid. Uh-huh. And the doctors told her that I was dying. Yeah. So she was like, all right, we'll just give him whatever he wants to eat. Really? It doesn't really matter. So then I was like, all right, well, I like bananas, ketchup chips, and this kind of pasta. And so my mom was like, okay, that's what you get. Oh, my God. So every day you had a death row meal? Yeah, but I loved it. It wasn't like I was depressed about it. Well, it's. I don't think you understood the full situation at the time well i don't think i understood that there was other food also yeah i was just like oh i had a ketchup chips and they were good so get me more of those mm -hmm. but then when i moved into foster care my foster parents were like well this isn't they were just forcing food on me and as a byproduct of that they forced me to eat porridge every day because it was healthy in their minds right you just ate like a fucking first-year college student for the first five years of your life. That's really depressing. Yeah, so now, in a twist of God's humor, uh -huh. I love food, but I can't open my mouth. <laughs> they gotta, like, invent a feeding tube where you can, hit, like, like taste it. Yeah, I don't know. You want to hear something really gross? Yep. The other day, I was craving a burger so badly that... No. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I know. I ordered a burger. I don't know. If, I don't know where your head's going, but uh, I ordered a burger. Can I predict? I, okay. Okay, you had an attendant grind it up and put it in your feeding tube. You're close. They they put it in the blender. Uh, oh no! Like wait, wait, wait. Yeah, so I I put wait. the burger. Wait, no, wait, no. I put the burger <laughs> in my Vitamix. Oh, but I just put it on as low as it goes. Oh, no. 
So that it basically just turned into like a slurry. No, it was like the texture of like ground beef. Okay, fine. Um, it, I, not including the bun. I just I didn't even get a bun. <laughs> I ordered a naked burger with toppings. With toppings, like a bunch of toppings. What toppings? It was like a elk burger with brisket on top. And oh my god! Jalapenos and cheese and like three different kinds of barbecue. It was amazing. And so I was like, I have to eat this all together. That's the only way. You, you know, it would be funny if you made like a cooking video like about this. You make like a delicious meal. Like you, you oversaturate all the ingredients. Yeah. Everything looks delicious. Yep. You put so much care into the presentation. And then <laughs> every video, the last shot is just throwing it in the blender and blending it up. And then you drink the whole thing in time lapse. Well, I didn't drink it. That's the thing I wanted to get out there is I I just ate it like irregularly out of a bowl. Oh, like partially digested? It was like, oh, it was dry. It wasn't like we added water or anything. <laughs> it was dry. It's, oh, that makes it so much better that it was dry. <laughs> it just looked like super finely chunked. But yeah, it was... I had to have a bit of a conversation with myself and my soul <laughs> before I did it, just to be like, this is okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> this is okay. And I did it. And honestly, it was pretty delicious. <laughs> I ate the leftovers the next day. <laughs> <laughs> How were they left over? What? They were just sitting in a bowl? Yeah, I just didn't finish it. So I ate the rest of it. I didn't finish it. Oh my God. It was honestly good. But yeah, no, I had to have a real heart to heart with myself and just be like, you know, it's either this or you never experience a burger again. Never? God, Tony, that's dark. Well, it's not like one day I'm going to wake up and be able to eat a burger, I don't think. Well, you can still eat a burger now. You just need Justine to do it or someone who gives a fuck about what they're doing. No, because no matter, even if you're Justine, my mouth only opens so wide. It's only so big. I don't think I'd actually be able to fit the entire, like a bite of every ingredient in my mouth at once without doing it this way we're gonna have to reach out on social media to like a celebrity chef mm -hmm. and get them to make you like white castle um sliders or we could commission tim hortons to make burger bits when i make my own sushi uh -huh. i can cut it whatever thickness i want damn usually sushi is like you know an inch thick or whatever yeah, yeah. And I can't fit that in my mouth. Oh. I, but when I make my own roll, I can cut it however I want. Uh -huh. So I can make little slices of sushi. Right, right. And just like pop it in there. And that's amazing. It's like it's like um a communion sushi. Raw fish wafers. Yeah, yeah. Body of butterfish. The body of Japan. <laughs> broken for you. Japanese Jesus. Like who prepared it for you? Was it an attendant or was it like a very good friend that you trust deeply? There was an attendant, and I, I just said to her, this is what's happening. And <laughs> she was like, are you sure there's no other way? <laughs> and I was like, I've thought about this. I made my peace with it. I'm now confident that this is what I'm going to do. You can be grossed out by it, because I probably will also be grossed out by it. But this is what has to happen. You know that awful person that said to you a couple podcast episodes ago, I'm excited to do this for you? Yeah. You should have called her and been like, hey, 
Are you still excited to do me a favor? <laughs> and what I'm going to need you to do is grab this burger. Yeah, yeah. Throw it in my blender. And she's just like, are you sure I can't just suck your dick or something? <laughs> oh, God. How many listeners do we have to get on this podcast for you to try a blended burger? I'll, I'm not picky. I'm not a picky eater. I'll eat most things. Are you saying you'll do it right now? I'll do it anytime. Wait. So you just went on like a 14-minute rant about how gross it is. I mean, it's deeply disturbing, but if like my parents, okay, like I would feel bad about saying this if they cared about food, but save for a few things. Dessert. My parents do not care about cuisine whatsoever. So they are like the most devastatingly boring. So if you were like, hey, I'm going to blend up the burger, your mom would be like, that's exciting. <laughs> wow, we've never tried that. Oh, you're getting fancy, huh? Chicken Kievs from M&M's aren't good enough for you? You know when you have like meatloaf? Uh-huh. And it's all just one texture? I'm actually convinced that you would figure out the best way to grind up your food such that it didn't seem appalling. Yeah, I want to try to make it clear because everyone I've told this to, obviously for good reason, gets grossed out. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I didn't make it into like a liquid shake. It wasn't a puree. You're you're not a pathetic bachelor when it comes to food. Like it, we should uh, stress that I pretty much ask you every day what you've had for dinner in order to escape the horror that is sharing a kitchen with my parents. <laughs> and when you describe your like your sauces and all the little thoughtful things that you've done with cauliflower, I I uh, you know I I applaud you. I do love cooking. I love food. Can I ask you something? Like, do you have like a recipe book? And you like train the attendants like over time to like get really effective at certain recipes. There are definitely things that I do often. Yeah. Like once a week, at least I have salmon because I just love salmon. I feel good eating it. Um, Lately, I've been very much about eating food that is delicious, but also like guilt free. Like afterwards, I'm like, oh, that was probably bad for me or whatever. Yeah, you've said it's been like years since you've had fast food. Yeah. And I guess since this burger was brisket, it wasn't fucking fast food either. Yeah, we like elk meat and brisket. Oh, God. I basically yeah. just went through the, the menu at the burger place and it was like, I'm just going to spoil myself because I knew I was going to be blending it. So I was like, the, the the one benefit to be able to blend it yeah. and get my mind through all of that mental gymnastics to get there. Yeah. Sky's the limit in terms of what I can eat. Normally, I'm still thinking about, like today, I made a, like a butter garlic sauce for my tortellini, and I put tomatoes in it, and I mashed up the tomatoes in the sauce, but I was like, I'm not going to be able to eat the skins, so I had to go digging fishing out tomato skins. Oh my gosh. Right, which is like a process and annoying, and so if I had resigned myself to using the blender, then that's not an issue. I can literally put whatever I want in the blender. So sometimes I will do that. Like, like I'll get Thai food and I'll order like a Thai curry that has a bunch of different vegetables in it. Because mm-hmm. I know the sauce is what's going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And so I put that in the blender and I make just a thick sauce just by blending up what's in the bowl. And then I'll just put that over the rice or the noodles. So it's not that bad. 
That's interesting. I'm I'm thinking about like there being like a MasterChef cripple edition. <laughs> the conceit is that every single dish you make is a puree of some kind and you have to make it taste good even though those ingredients would be horrific or seemingly horrific in that format. Well, some super fancy restaurants love purees, right? Yeah. So like part of the side dish is instead of sweet potatoes, you get a sweet potato puree. And it's because you can add all these extra spices and stuff to make it way more complex with flavor, but uh, it's still a puree. So I've been getting more into soups lately as a result because mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I can just, it, but nobody gets weirded out when I say, okay, now can you blend up this soup? Exactly. Oh yeah. You have to worry about being judged by people. I don't want someone to puke into my bowl before I eat it. That makes sense. Yeah. Although the bile would break it down a little bit more. That's true. Yeah. It would be like the fly. Yeah. <laughs> like even today when I was making the sauce, I said, we could just throw it in the blender and start taking all these tomato skins out. And she was, I was like fully ready to do that because that didn't bother me. It would just be a sauce. So sauce is not necessarily supposed to be chunky. Hold on. Can we, can we rewind for a second? Because like you and I have both seen the fly, right? That the scene where Brundlefly pukes on his food, like, were you also thinking about like alternative ways of eating? Because I totally was really? from a disabled context. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about it, but then I thought like, oh, he's touchy about his feeding tube. So maybe that's like a, that's like an offensive question. I'm not, I'm touchy about it and that I'm insecure about it, but I'm also open about it. Like I, I I don't like that I have one, but I it's it's there and it works for you. It it does what it has to do. I wish I didn't have one, but I also wish I didn't have to use a wheelchair. It's just what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can definitely always ask me questions. Also, I realized that by talking these through on here, mm-hmm. it gives things less power, right? Because I'm just like putting it out there. Even just by acknowledging that I'm insecure about it makes me a little less insecure about it because it's just like I'm not holding it inside or something. Mm-hmm. The like one of the indicators of like of like a poor habit in life is secrecy surrounding it. Yeah, if you feel like it has to be a secret, most likely it's probably not good for you. Now, I also don't think that you can just say something and that means you're not that thing anymore. Like, you can't just be like, yeah, I'm a dick. And then by saying that out loud, somehow mm-hmm. you're not a dick anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Self-awareness doesn't absolve you necessarily from uh, from responsibility for what you say or how you behave. That's true. Yeah, but it does help uh, admitting it is like the first step in recovery. Yeah, not to say in our conversation so far that there's anything you need to recover from. Well, I, I think it would be nice to be more confident in the fact that I have a feeling tube or whatever. Like if I'm going to a beach publicly, uh-huh. I'm not confident to take my shirt off. That makes sense. But couldn't you have like some, some kind of cover for your tube that would you, so you could still flex your muscles and feel sexy? Well, I, I don't think so. Unless I was wearing like a reverse tube top. Or like a, like a sash across your waist or something. I don't know. Like it does have a covering over it. Yeah, but yeah. It's can't still you, can't you just grow out your body hair like for a for a day? 
Right, and then just cover it up in the forest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. I'll start <laughs> now and I'll be done by the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you ask me? Oh, Brendelfly, does he... Do I think about... Did I think about alternate food intake methods? Not really. No, that there, there was nothing appetizing to me about that scene. No, yeah, it was deliberately like disgusting and monstrous. Yeah, but he but but because he was a scientist, he was he was sort of regarding his own grotesqueness with a kind of like distant fascination, which made it almost that much more tragic because he was aware, like almost on a level even deeper than perhaps the viewer. Yeah, but he still had there was still nothing he could do about it. And in order to protect himself from the reality of it, he chose to view his body scientifically. Yeah. I don't think that I've ever, I don't know, it's been an ongoing thing because like I used to, even just a few years ago, I was able to eat more easily than I am now and chew more things without issue or Mm -hmm. chew less before being able to get it down or whatever. Who knows what's in the future, but I do have a friend who fully purees almost all of his food, including like adding water. So it's like a an actual puree crazy and um he's always tried to get me to try it knowing that i'm on that path uh, and i've never been able to swallow my pride enough to swallow his food <laughs> but uh, it would be interesting to have like a puree cookbook or something right because you that's the thing like you can definitely i make every week pretty much i have lentil soup and i love it Again, I put that in the blender, but it's one of my favorite meals because it's super easy for me to eat, but I can put a bunch of spices in it. It's super delicious. It's one of the most flavorful things I eat. Tony, we need to start a social media campaign to reach out to fucking Gordon Ramsay yeah. and, and ask him what foods we should puree for your purposes. Well, I feel like if he was really open about it, he might just say like, you know, you can puree anything if you're open to it. Well, he, uh, yeah, maybe that's or true. Or he'd just be like, sure. fuck off. It's raw. That's yeah, he'd be like, you over-pureed the risotto, you bastard. Get out. And then he would, like, throw your chair down a ramp. I love risotto partially because of that. It's basically just mush already. But it's supposed to be. Nobody's weird that you're eating rice mush. Yeah, I like rice pudding for the same reason, and I always get uh, accused of being an old man. Yeah, well, rice pudding... Actually, rice pudding is pretty good. I don't like Christmas cake, though. Oh, you mean like fruit cake? Like yeah. with all the, all the gelato and like... Ugh. Or not, the, or sorry, the gelatin bits? Just my, every year, my parents seek out a fruit cake to bring over for Christmas. yeah. And every year, my mom's like, do you like fruitcake? And I'm like, we go over this every year. It's disgusting. It's like the guy, you could like concuss somebody with that cake. It's so dense and just inedible. Like the way good ones are aged or something. They, they're basically bathed in alcohol, I think. And so the, the best ones are real boozy. Like the only other fruit that I can think of that can be left to age is McDonald's. And that's because it's cardboard. Imagine McDonald's was like, have our three-year-old chicken nuggets. They probably already do that. They just don't tell us. Yeah, they just don't tell you. In fact, the best ones 
like the best tasting ones are probably at least three years old. Like, can we change the subject? Should we talk about this fucking movie that we watched? I feel like there's a lot to say. We have a lot of clips. That's true. Why do you think we have so many clips for this movie? By the way, we watched because um, it's our thirtieth episode, and we were excited about it. Oh yeah, it is our thirtieth episode. Oh my god, dude! I can't even believe that. Isn't that amazing? We've been doing this for thirty weeks. That's more episodes than the standard run of a network TV show for a season. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, oh, we're that is wild. Wow, we're like bulk content makers. Like, we're we're like we're like NBC or something. We should have only released six episodes so we could call ourselves a prestige podcast. <laughs> and call it a series instead of a season. Yeah, yeah, six episode series. Right, and, and then. Uh, we only do we only do two seasons and then we fuck off and then the Americans adapt our series over and over again for the next 40 years. All right. Tell us about the movie. Okay. So we watched uh, a 1999 uh, crime thriller called The Bone Collector. And uh, it's about um, a forensic detective, I suppose. I Actually, I don't know. Like, is he a detective or does Yeah, he... I think a detective. Yeah, okay. He's like a CSI type um, who uh, had like major debris fall on top of him while he was investigating a dead body at the bottom of a subway or something. And so he became um, a paraplegic. He's a detective who kind of like sits in a smart hospital bed and uses his vast knowledge of forensic science to off-the-cuff investigate murders. But it was also pretty great to go back and see what they thought cutting-edge tech was in 1999. Yeah, like their kind of portrait of like a fully functional detective who is bedridden was pretty appealing to me, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I kind of enjoyed the fantasy of it. Yeah, I like the fact that it was, it gave me a sense of, inspiration like how cool it would be he wasn't really missing out on any of his prior life yeah from his bed yeah you know like i think about the fact that some people some of the people i work with or whatever are stuck in their bed can't get out of bed for whatever reason and they're like never in a chair throughout their day they're just 100 percent in bed yeah wow and to me that's so depressing mm-hmm. because I wouldn't want to be like that. And I don't want to project my sadness onto them and pretend that it's sad for them. Maybe they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Often they're okay. But like, it was cool to see everyone just kind of flocked to him. He made it work. He was about as independent as you could expect him to be. Although still not sure why he couldn't have been in a wheelchair. I actually disagree with you. I think he was okay. So uh, let's let's lay the groundwork here a little bit. So, wait. I just want to say also, I really was hoping that this movie was about him being a criminal murderer. Yeah, and not the detective that was solving everything. Yeah. I was really excited for the fact that he was going to be a paralyzed, like serial killer. Yeah, who was collecting body parts in order to build himself an able body. Yeah. Like to Frankenstein himself like a like a useful or sorry, an able body. 
or he was just so embittered about other people being able-bodied yeah. that he would take away like a finger here and there to make them a little distinct. <laughs> well, okay, so th- the main character's name is actually called Lincoln Rhyme, and he's played super effectively by Denzel Washington in his prime. Right. Like you, you got to think like the late 90s where like when Training Day came out. Yeah. Uh, like he just basically was at the peak of his career. Sex God. Okay. So, but he plays. Don't want to admit that you find him attractive. <laughs> I mean, I guess he has like a, a kind of, I don't know. I'm freezing for some reason. I, 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 yeah. Denzel's super hot. Um, But he just like, you know, he's Denzel. He has the ability to like project intensity, like in any given moment, even when he's, super vulnerable um and uh so anyway so this is like in the late 90s it's like uh just a couple years before the csi boom when tv got taken over by network procedurals about forensic uh, investigators and all the hoopla and basically the propaganda about the effectiveness of that whole realm of science did you get the clip of him saying enhance no i didn't Oh, that was my favorite part. Oh, yeah. So, he, you know, Lincoln's bed is sort of uh, retrofitted with a bunch of monitors, and he can kind of use the internet with like a trackball mouse and his single working finger very effectively. And so he's constantly like looking at evidence, like and zooming in on it with greater and greater detail. Enhance. And like, you know, he's basically a computer god. But they actually do a fairly good job involving you in the evidence collection component of the crime. Like you're never, yeah, you're never overwhelmed with terminology such that you're just sort of taking for granted that the detectives know what you're doing. There is a through line where you sort of understand his logic and are able to therefore believe the movie's assertion that Denzel is smart. You know, which is a problem I think that a lot of uh, modern investigative shows ha- have. The way that it was shot made me think of me as the viewer as a disabled person with omnipresence. Yeah. Because it was often shot from his first person perspective yeah. where that made sense. Mm-hmm. But then when you're in a place where he wasn't able to get, he would just be on the phone talking to someone, telling them what to do, talking them through it. But then the camera work still made it feel like you were watching it from his eyes. Yeah, like he was somehow able to see what his fellow investigators were looking at on the field. Yeah. So he was like effectively like a really good uh, remote worker, like in COVID times. Yeah. And and yeah, like the camera is quite often uh, from the vantage point of his bed, like him looking up at characters. And also, like you were saying, in in his life before his accident, he was such a reputable cop that he continues to be employed um, post-disability. And it, uh, when this murder happens, like everyone around him appreciates his specialization so much that they literally like move the investigative unit into his home. And so he's he, not only does he have all his particular like wheelie tools at his disposal, but he also has 
teams and teams of people that he just will call out their names and be like, you go do this and you do that and yada, yada, yada. He's like the epicenter of the investigation. And and it's believable, actually. Like he's he's an empowered individual, which is something that I like. This movie actually felt um, like a cripple power fantasy for wheelie audiences, to be honest with you. And I'm not sure if it's because I love so much like that early era of CSI, like in 2000, 2001, whatever it was. And I devoured it as a child. Like it was one of the most formative, like procedural TV shows of my upbringing or whatever. CSI? Yeah, CSI. I loved Las Vegas a lot, like a lot, a lot. I was an NCIS guy. Oh my God, you poor bastard. NCIS is so boring. Isn't that the boat one? The boat one? Yeah. And see, aren't they like Navy cops? Like who the fuck patrols the water? Ugh. Yeah. But there was like, uh, I was really into this girl, Abby, who was like the computer nerd who would, when she was like this like hot goth chick. Oh, dang. Cool. I was like really into it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then you can relate to me then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, should we play a clip? Like, let, let's, uh, at the beginning of the movie though, like we should say like, even though in the portrayal of Denzel's profession, like he's super empowered, there's still a whole lot of like lines and little pithy jokes around the periphery of the film that are like, that basically are a product of the late nineties. And so you know, when the movie opens, like uh, he's basically visited by like a palliative care doctor who like agrees to kill him because his life is not fulfilling. And so it sort of sets the ticking clock trope that we're all so familiar with where we're expecting Denzel to die by the end of the movie. So, yeah. So at the start of the movie, we're meant to think that he's like ultra fragile and doesn't even want to live. But then the movie sort of like eschews that bullshit, like for the meat of its run, which I really liked, actually, as a byproduct of him being so competent at his job. He is often kind of a dick to people, which I don't endorse but I do like that he's not like passive and agreeable and like grateful for for people um, consulting his expertise. That's why I wanted him to be the criminal. Because I just, I'm, I'm so bored of really movies where they're like, this guy's overcoming so much to be the best. Yeah. And actually, like, I, wanted- I just want you to be an asshole who nobody likes. <laughs> yeah. And you like die alone because you're a shitty person. Not because you're disabled. Well, then it runs the risk of the of the trope of, you know, the villain being a disfigured or maimed, resentful creature who harms the hero because they've been, like, jilted by the able-bodied world. That's true. And so, that I mean, it's a hard line to... Yeah, you're right. You'd have to be a fine line to make it... Like, you're okay with the people in his life leaving him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. This movie also... It was pretty obvious that it wasn't written with disabled people really involved at all. Not at all, no. Like, not even the jokes in it are jokes that we have heard so many times that it's grown worthy. Mm -hmm. They're also the same types of jokes that people say to us pretty often because they're unaware of how frequently they're said. Exactly. So like uh, when that guy, when when he was talking to a doctor about helping him 
with assisted suicide. The doctor agrees and on his way out, comes out with a banger line. <laughs> Don't bother to get up. I'll show myself out. Yeah, I'll race you to the door. Yeah, fucking like little stupid jokes about mobility and whatnot. We should stress again that that's not the bulk of the movie, though. Like, like the actual meat of the investigation, like the whole reason you watch the thriller genre it, um, is really well done. And it incorporates Denzel's character super, super well. It's kind of a trope that the, the hero detectives in these uh, murder mystery movies, even going back to like Agatha Christie novels, you think like Hercule Poirot or Sherlock Holmes or Nero Wolfe. They all have like weird, like character defining affectations or um, constraints on themselves that um, contribute to their genius. And I sort of think that the movie uh, argues that that disability makes Denzel a better detective. Well, because he doesn't have to waste all the brain space on walking. <laughs> yeah, obviously, right? Because yeah, I mean, like you think about it, like Hercule Poirot has like. Uh, crippling obsessive compulsive disorder and it makes him insightful but it also makes him uh insufferable and sherlock holmes it has opiate addiction and he's a dickhead of a of an individual on a lot of occasions uh nero wolf is like uh, morbidly obese and uh, has a bit of um what do they call it uh, agoraphobia what's the one where you 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 don't you can't leave the house yeah yeah it's agoraphobia right right so he so he conducts all his investigations from within his office um and is constantly offering people food because he starved as a young child in uh, during the great depression and uh you know gil grissom like uh, the main character of csi gil grissom yeah, he's on like the autistic spectrum and he's like obsessed with bugs and he doesn't really like people all that much. That seems like a stretch. Okay. I'm, I'm, all I'm just trying to say is that like they're using disability as the trait that, you know, infuses uh, Denzel's gift or whatever. So because he doesn't like bugs, he can't use his legs. And because he can't use his legs, he's still a great detective, right? Right. Yeah, you follow my line of logic for sure. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Okay, so Angelina Jolie is in this movie. And she, uh, she actually... What's her disability? Because she's a good detective, too. I mean, I guess it's like overwhelming beauty a disability. I don't know. Yeah, like pre-Kylie Jenner lip kit lips. But natural, like all natural. Yeah, exactly. One thing that I've sort of forgotten over the years of her becoming like a like a a celebrity god basically like one of the i gotta be honest i kind of forgot about her until we watched this like the last good movie i can think of is mr and mrs smith yeah she's made several movies since then but that's true they haven't had a whole lot of staying power anyway though she's kind of like hollywood celebrity royalty yeah you've attained that level of fame where people forget that you're actually like a person i'm pretty sure she does have Almost as many kids as Gil Grissom did bugs. That that's true. So maybe that's her thing. But anyway, she's in this film and she's good. She's playing the Clarice Starling role of the, you know, like up and coming beat cop, um, with the uh, the kind of perceptive, the natural, the innate perceptive ability to be a good forensic detective. Uh, and she has some scars in her past that have sort of um, compelled her to be in law enforcement uh and to make her father proud much like clarice 
this is an interesting parallel. Yeah. Because the parallel, if you let it go down the line, yep. says what about Lincoln? It says what about Denzel? So that's what I'm saying. Like there are a lot of there are a lot of story beats in this movie that directly parallel Silence of the Lambs. Like um basically uh Angelina is the beat cop who discovers the first body of the main killer of this film. And she makes a bunch of decisions in the collection of the evidence and the isolation of the cl- of the crime that kind of betray her uh, unnatural comp- competency as a detective. And so when link, when the case is brought to Lincoln, um, his, his lead detective friend says, Oh, you know, this young woman basically collected all, all this evidence and Lincoln's super impressed by all the things that she did. And so he's like, bring her to me. She like kind of becomes his his protege. And he trains her, advises her throughout the film. He's constantly in her ear. Like there's a there's a paternal relationship between them, much like that between Hannibal and uh, Clarice. So are you saying there is a line to be drawn uh-huh. between... The monster of Hannibal's cannibalism. Yep. And the monster of Denzel's crippledom. Yes. I'm saying, I don't think the movie does this consciously. I don't think they're saying that Denzel is as much of a, is as much of an aberration as Anthony Hopkins, but they're also putting him in that Tony Hopkins role. And so that parallel is unavoidable. Um, and, and he, the fact that he is isolated in his apartment and he can't actually go out on the field with Angelina and, and the fact that people are, are somewhat trepidatious around him, like he has a mysterious past and he's this genius, but he's deeply damaged. But he's not scary. I think that's the distinction. Right? No, but he like repeatedly has these like medical episodes and people feel helpless and are not sure what to do. Like he's definitely othered. Like even though we've been saying that yeah. it's generally a positive portrait, there's there's still some definite Hannibal parallels. I agree that the parallels exist between the two movies, mm-hmm. and it does make it interesting when you think about it in terms of the comparison between Hannibal and Denzel's character. It's definitely a different vibe, but you're right. He's sort of this creature locked away in his safe hole. Yeah. And people go out and do his bidding uh-huh. using his genius uh-huh. to the point where there's like a moment where I wondered, is he somehow involved in this? Well, he does think like a killer and he definitely comes to some conclusions that occasionally seem to be logical leaps that he could only make if he related to, to the killer. Yeah. And Queen Latifah, who is his like main attendant and is constantly such a strange casting decision. Well, I mean, she's quite good in it. Like she is sort of like in the periphery a lot and there's not a whole lot of attention paid to her, but no, I, I, I meant strange, more like surprising. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't, I wasn't upset by it. I was impressed with her performance and I think it was a great, cause usually the, that role is cast by, like a motherly, almost robotic character. And she was the opposite of that. She has like so much personality, their peers. That's not the typical attendant-client dynamic that you see in a movie. 
Yeah, the tension between them occurs whenever Lincoln is neglecting himself or pushing himself too hard during the investigation, yeah. such that his vitals are out of whack or you know, he's not sleeping enough or not hydrated enough or something like that, which actually occurs a number of times throughout the film. But there, but you're right. There's a, there's a nice chemistry between them yeah, and a mutual respect. It's also just a, an enviable dynamic for client and attendant where it's, you, you don't feel like some power balance either way. Yeah. They're just peers. Uh-huh. She has a vested interest personally in helping him with his life it doesn't end at the personal care and he has a vested interest in her well-being as well mm-hmm. um and this is sort of established like in a, in a very very few moments throughout the film like just like little exchange like a little pithy exchanges of dialogue or just the way that he says her name when he calls her and stuff like that like yeah. the, what i'm saying essentially is across the board and with angelina the movie's super well acted this movie is based on a book, right? It is. Yeah, I don't know much about the book, but I think it's a. I think it's a series because yeah. um, NBC was going to create a procedural show called The Bone Collector, and uh, and I think it was about to be launched, and then COVID hit, so they kind of shelved it. Oh, like recently? Yeah, very recently. The Queen Latifah role is a parallel to Barney in Sons of the Lambs. And that's one of like, that's kind of like a fan favorite dynamic that between Anthony Hopkins and the guard that kind of like oversees him throughout the film and who sort of disagrees with the warden or in this case, or in this film, Denzel, there's a conflict between Queen Latifah, Denzel and his boss, essentially like the, uh, I don't know, the chief, the chief of police who kind of berates Denzel for mishandling evidence or for overextending his authority, blah, 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 blah. Michael Rooker, who is just has the face and the voice and the cadence of a villain. So he doesn't even have to be a fleshed out uh, character for him to be effective in that role. Anyway, so uh, I'm saying this movie is trying to evoke everything that is appealing about the silence of the lambs. Uh, And so, yeah, the, the Hannibal, parallels with disability like abound unfortunately or maybe fortunately i don't know well similarly to hannibal angelina jolie's character calls out denzel's character i forget both of their names rhyme is denzel's character and i don't remember angelina's character's name i don't either i forget yeah angelina calls out denzel and if i refuse I would say that you're putting your career at serious risk. Well, you think because of your condition you have the right to push people around? I'm sorry, that is truly pathetic. It's much like the tip for tat between Clarice and and Anthony Hopkins. You know, they have a kind of battle of wits when they're uh, trying to di- diagnose each other's uh, pathology or whatever. Yeah. Um, and also similarly, uh, Lincoln pushes Angelina's buttons throughout the film. But it's also like... Uh... In Silence of the Lambs, it's like, you don't scare me. And in this movie, it's like, I don't care that you're disabled. Exactly. Uh, Sort of later in the investigation, she discovers a new body, essentially, during the investigation, like uh, in another scene. And Denzel's trying to coach her with how to process it initially, like before the coroner arrives or something. 
Yeah, this was weird. It was super weird. I, I thought it, I, it was pretty uncomfortable. So basically, like Angelina finds this body um, in a in a subway. The transit system, not the restaurant. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The transit system. Yeah. And the body's been steamed to death. So it's been like cooked. And so it, it has that kind of like Silence of the Lambs, like a uh, body horror or think like seven as well, where the way that the person died is sort of overemphasized, like to earn the R rating of the film and to enhance the thriller elements, supposedly. So um, Angelina is kind of looking at this body and Denzel is saying like, oh, you know, collect fingerprints here and check the pupils and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, uh, there may be some fingerprints on the cuffs, but you're not going to be able to retrieve them without cutting the the victim's hands off which by the way does not sound very fucking forensic to me i've never i never heard of that i don't know why she couldn't pick the lock or do something else but it seemed like i don't know you might want to play the clip first basically he's just like pushing her blow off her hands take off the cuffs Listen to me, saw off and we need those cops. I can't! Amelia, we need... No, fuck you! And it's this kind of weird parallel to like, you know the scene in Silence of the Lambs when Lecter is asking Clarice about a moment in her childhood when she felt vulnerable or something? It was like just before the death of her father and she lived on a farm and she could hear like the lambs screaming in like the barn behind her home. And it's like, it's this weird sort of parallel there where Lecter is pushing for more and more details to try to get Clarice to face her fears and to like, like recognize her intestinal fortitude and to be honest with him. But they don't need the hands. They don't need the hands and it doesn't really make sense, but it's supposed to, The, the whole justification is, well, yeah, but the medical examiners don't know how to use a saw. They're all thumbs. What? Yeah, it's so dumb. And I think Denzel is like trying to prove to Angelina that she has the gumption to do whatever it takes to to get the most out of the investigation or something. But also, like, there's no way that you're allowed to just cut off someone. Like, the the investigator first to the scene... They haven't even like fully finished the investigation, and he's already like, get the saw, chop the hands off. She very conveniently has a tiny like hand cuttered saw. Yeah, in her in her like little bag of tricks, perfect for wrist bones. Outrageous! I honestly hated this part. Yeah, probably because it made me so uncomfortable, but also I really lost a lot of the suspension of disbelief. Definitely, yeah. It, it was going for like the like the realistic kind of unsettling gore of Seven, yeah. But the writers just kind of like didn't do any research or something. Yeah, because Seven, even though that was uncomfortable, I was bought in for sure. Yeah, there's something very grounded about all of the horror of that particular film. Yeah, and it turned out to be prescient, you know, in predicting the monstrosity of Mister Spacey. Let's change the pace a little bit with this clip. It was a human dynamo, writing books, lecturing all over the world, giving expert opinion in trials, 
working half the crime scenes in the city. You know what he's doing his downtime? No, I can't imagine. He'd collect things. Dirt, metals, plastics, hubcaps, plants, musical strings, medical tools, anything you could think of. Obsessive. Ah, I'd have it all analyzed and cataloged for his, what you call it, database. Why don't you tell us why you decided that was an important clip? I just, one of the things that I found kind of endearing about this stupid movie was um, um, the, the soft, like, New York accents that pretty much all, all of the characters had. Uh-huh. And, you know, like, Ed O'Neill from Married with Children is the lead detective kind of under Angelina. And he's giving her this, like, block of exposition that testifies to Dustin or to uh, Denzel Washington's genius. He's like, you know... You realize what he does in his spare time? He like collects all this shit. He's a fucking genius. Uh, and he puts it in a database or whatnot. And I just wanted to do a Tony Soprano impression. To be able to do, yeah, to apply my to apply my soprano impression to this movie. Yeah, so before we started recording, I asked you why you got this clip. <laughs> yeah. And you were like Oh, it's an important clip about <laughs> showing like the the setting of the movie and how they and then as you were talking, I realized yeah. and called you out that you just wanted to do a Tony Soprano impression. Yeah, he's got a fucking a bunch of relational tables and he he writes an SQL query and he gets some information about whatever the fuck he wants. You check in the database, you check in my SQL, you get the Gabagool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looks up the uh, the cold cuts from Satriels. You're giving them all to tell or not? That's all that matters. Well, that's why I, you know, I appreciate accents in movies, and I was really surprised how good Angelina's. Yeah, it was really good. Like I keep thinking of her as like Tomb Raider or, um, you know, Salt or Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Maleficent. Did you see Maleficent? I did. I liked it. I didn't see it. And it's pretty good. It's pretty dark for a Disney movie, live action Disney movie. Yeah. But it's one of the exceptions where I, I actually like left the theater and thought like, oh, that was kind of worth the remake or the the adjacent make. You know, Jamie, often when we talk uh-huh. and I see you driving. Driving what? Your wheelchair. Okay. I'm, I wonder uh, once in a while. Uh-huh. You know, we all we all do this. We all have gaffes when we're driving. Uh-huh. And when we might run into something or misjudge a corner, misjudge a turn. But sometimes I wonder. Hey, Lee. You got an operating license for that? I got a learner's permit. Oh, yeah, that stupid line. That happens at the end of the movie. You know, like when Denzel finds the killer. He wins Angelina's heart and she decides to be on his arm. And, you know, like touch his hand suggestively and sensually because that's what the movie thinks intimacy is between a cripple and a non-disabled uh, person. Yeah. You just rub that that little part between their fingers and they orgasm. Yeah. Like not even the inner palm, like the outside of your hand, like yeah, practically yeah. like the, the, the body of your nail. Like what kind of intimacy is that? Yeah. If, if you're just friends, you rub the top knuckle. Yeah. But if you're really into them, you rub that bottom knuckle, and oh yeah, then you know it's really. If, that's, and if you when you like when you want to go to town, where do you rub? Right between the fingers. <laughs> you know that part you have to make sure is dry after a shower. Yep. 
Yeah, that's the part. That's what favor you should have got from that awful person. <laughs> Can you just draw between my fingers? <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, that, that's one of the lines. It's delivered by Luis Guzman, who is like a really great character actor. I guess the reason I brought it up was not for anything other than I am a... You are a fucking meddling cripple. Oh yeah, that's the first usage I think of the C word that from not Denzel. From not Denzel, yeah. That's how you know that Denzel's uh, supervisor is a dickhead because he because he drops the c word. You know what? The the title of our podcast has the c word in it, uh huh. And I don't we don't really come across it very often in these movies. Yeah, that's true. I was trying to think of other ones that I can for sure remember there being a c word, and there isn't one that I remember for sure. I'm sure at some point. It's in the first season of Special. Oh, yeah. But is there another movie where it stands out? Crip Camp. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. But that's that, that's in a whole other category to me. Honestly, it's like Crip Camp and then every other movie we've talked about. Yeah, Crip Camp is the most authentic piece of dis- disability media ever made. It might be the, the, yeah, the only one we will ever cover. Yeah, that's true. Like We might have already peaked. We might do this for years <laughs> and never find it. Honestly, it's probably good we watched that so early because uh-huh. now we're just going to be chasing that dragon. That's true. Yeah. Unless we like eventually make our own. Well, it still won't be as good. That's a little arrogant to say that if we make a cripple movie, it's going to even come close to Crip Camp. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Fine. But I mean, what makes Crip Camp great is the the truth of it all. It's the yeah, the authenticity. It's the portrait of the lives of these people. So and the fact that it's it's the most inclusive production of a really movie that we've seen. When you okay, when another disabled person watches that movie, they feel like joy and hope. Yeah, like hope. And you don't even have to be disabled to feel those things. Yeah. That's what's so good about it. A lot of these other movies, they're either made just for disabled people or they're made just for able-bodied people. Uh-huh. But that movie really felt like it was made for everyone. Yeah. Like with preference for wheelies, of course. Well, I don't even know if it's with preference, but it's they were at the forefront of all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Nothing about us without us or whatever, you know? Well, I, I wanted to watch this movie because like, because I like Denzel, and, and because you think he's hot, yeah, he's you know he's handsome, um, and he's just really good at line delivery, like in any situation, like he can make the equalizer palatable and not seem like totally over the top action romp. So like he just has natural like gravitas. What what do you think is the most complimentary word you can say about a man's physical appearance? Like just a man. Like to say that they're attractive. Oh, I don't know. That's highly subjective. No, I'm saying you. Me? Like, what is the ultimate compliment you can give a guy? Handsome? Handsome seems like something your mom calls you before your picture, at a school day picture. I don't know. Like, I feel like in answering this question, I'm going to betray some weird preference for particular masculine traits or values. You can have preferences. I guess, yeah, I guess I appreciate when a male actor has like, like weight behind their line delivery, like a certain amount of emotional investment and conviction. 
We're talking like physical. I don't really care about physical pre- presence. Really? No. Um, so one trope about about like leading men in movies that I kind of dislike is that the the most interesting or most effective. It doesn't have to be a man in a movie, by the way. I'm just. I don't know. I mean, my favorite actor, male actor, is James Gandolfini. Okay. And then after that, it's probably uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's a good one for sure. I think we're on different pages, though. That's okay. There's a trope that, like, leading men in movies are good actors when they're able to get really very angry and, like, lose their shit in a compelling way. So you think, like, Robert De Niro or... um, Jack Nicholson? Jack Nicholson. Fucking... Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, and fucking... Al Pacino, Anthony Soprano, all these fucking Italian gangster dudes. Yeah, I kind of resent that trope. I really thought we were going to find out which guy you thought was attractive today. John Hamm. Finally, there it is. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Idris Elba, I don't know. Idris Elba is a sex god. That's true, he is. He should be fucking James Bond. I don't know why that's, that hasn't happened yet. I heard that they were going to have a woman next. That, that would work too. That would be wild. I like Zoe Saldana for that. Is is there going to be James Bond? Well, I mean, I don't know. It could be James Jamie, Bond. Jamie Bond? Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Zoe Saldana would be sick. Or just, just, just 007. Yeah. With the two of them together, imagine the Zoe Saldana and Idris Elba together. Oh, my. Groundbreaking. Idris is 006, and he double-crosses her, and she has to kill him effectively. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting totally off topic here, Tony. Did you like The Bone Collector? I accidentally put the trailer on instead of the movie when we started watching it. Yeah. And so we watched like 30 seconds of the trailer or something. Yeah. The trailer made it seem like it was a straight up horror thriller. Yeah. Like it made it seem a lot darker and scarier than it is. And so were you disappointed that it wasn't as... No, I wasn't disappointed because I don't like horror movies. I, I get very scared. Oh, yeah. You thought uh, Edward Scissorhands was going to be a horror film. Yeah, and I didn't want to watch it. (laughs) So, no, I was pleasantly surprised. I went in thinking it was going to... I thought it was going to fall flat and just be a lame attempt at a movie with disability in it. Mm -hmm. But I think what I liked about it so much was that the disability wasn't... It was a plot device a little bit, but it didn't come off as... They were abusing it. The only time it ever felt corny was when they were in those lines that we've talked about. Yeah. But the the, the disability in terms of the plot of the movie was actually pretty good. It was cool, wasn't it? Like how disability sort of permeates like kind of all of the logistics of the film. Yeah. And the way that it sort of inserts Denzel into the relationship, into the investigation is pretty cool like it's believable i loved that he was good at good at his job and i also love that like he apart from the stupid allusion to assisted suicide at the start of the movie he wasn't he was totally focused on the investigation once the ball the balls the ball got rolling well i think if anything the allusion to assisted suicide helped explain how he was able to throw himself into the work. Ah, uh, because he had nothing to lose? Right. He was already 
committed to killing himself anyway. Mm-hmm. This was the best distraction from a life that he otherwise wanted to stop living. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously something he's good at. I don't think it was unnecessary, but maybe it was unnecessary. The disability? No, the allusion to his suicide. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, yeah, I suppose it does sort of frame his motivation. Yeah. And I mean, for, for the late 90s, like even like talking about his final transition or whatever euphemism they use uh, is quite progressive. But you know what I do wish? Because they made it so obvious that there was going to be a love between, a romance between Angelina Jolie and Denzel. Then at the end of the movie, that is somewhat solidified. But, like, I wish they actually, like, confirmed it. Oh, like, they actually had a scene where they... I mean, they don't need a sex scene. Yeah. But, like, something more than a knuckle rub would have been good. Yeah, she does rub his knuckles. And when the first time she's rubbing his knuckles is, like, in the weirdest, like, he's sleeping. Yeah. And they, they've had some conversations and they've opened up to each other. Yep, she witnesses having she witnesses him having a light seizure, and then she's all kind of worried about him. Yeah, and she's also there. She's also visiting his house out of uniform, so she's letting her guard down. Also, her hair is not in a bun, so you know, like she's tr- like that things are happening. You know, yeah, you know when the hair's down. And then there's this line because she starts rubbing his hand, and he wakes up. Has laws against molesting the handicapped, you know. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Like I would ever say that to a woman I wanted to take for dinner. I'm gonna leave that pausing. Like <laughs> <laughs> I would ever say that to a wo- to a woman who I was gonna approach. <laughs> Speak to. <laughs> I would never say that to a woman before saying hi to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this movie is full of cheesy lines. But again, that's because it was obviously written without wheelies. Uh-huh. Well, then again, we've all made pretty dumb debasing jokes at our own expense. We have, yeah. But like earlier in our lives, before we exactly. knew. Exactly. But he's still early in his cripple career. Yeah. He just became cripple. So all of these... Maybe low-hanging fruit, but he's still at the bottom of the tree. And he's still, like, sort of coping with his new arrangement? Yeah. So maybe it's fair when you think of it that way. Yeah. We're coming at it with all these decades of being disabled. Mm-hmm. That's the only. That's only not funny to us because of how many times we've heard it. Yeah. yeah. I am actually terrified of making jokes about disability to other disabled people. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's such a overtrodden, like, topic that even if it is kind of a good one, like, a disabled audience is still going to roll their eyes. For me, I don't actually care if an eye roll is my reaction. Yeah. Like, I prefer a laugh, but an eye roll is a different kind of satisfying. Because if I get an eye roll, it's like, I still got to you, and an eye roll is still in jest. Nobody rolls their eyes seriously, like, oh my God, shut up. It's usually like, 
Oh my God, shut up. You know? But if you get an eye roll when you're expecting a full laugh, then it hurts. Yeah, but then you can just double down and it becomes funny. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, how often do you actually do that? Like, you know how to read people. Well, but again, I've made jokes like this where it probably wouldn't make another really laugh, but that's not the audience. Yeah. It's unfortunate that I have so many jokes that would not make wheelies laugh. Yeah, but that's not your audience, right? You have you don't have very many wheelie friends that you're trying to make laugh. I guess. While you, I would like it if you laughed every once in a while. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> oh. Um, how about the conclusion of this movie? Like like the finals, the final fight scene, so to speak. What do you think of that? Uh, to be honest, I was jealous that he could bite so hard. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the movie, like they find a third, uh, like a third set of victims. Uh, Angelina finds them out at a pier or something like they rescue them. And so it seems like it's like a false happy ending. And then all of a sudden there's like a there's like a knock at Denzel's door and you figure that it's his 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 boss, the chief of police coming to kill him because he called him a cripple. So obviously he has intent to kill. But it turns out the technician of Denzel's bed is actually the killer because he's like a former forensics investigator who Denzel had put put in jail for being incompetent or falsely um, incriminating people and getting them whatever put in jail. And so yada, 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 this guy like breaks into Denzel's home and proceeds to dismantle his equipment because he's a chair technician. So obviously he's the ultimate villain because he knows how to handicap the handicapped character. Yeah, he's like, I know where the power switch is. Yeah, yeah. So he pulls the plug on Denzel's bed. But they show that Denzel's like ahead of the curve. Yeah. Using his intense powers of cripple deduction. Right. To figure out that this man is about to do some dirty. Right. Yeah, they make they make that shady eye contact that people in thrillers do right before someone like brandishes a knife and like yeah. stabs you. And then the phone rings and you don't know if you're allowed to answer it. Mm-hmm. So he does flip a switch to give his bed backup power. And then he uses that backup power to crush the hand of the killer. Like as he's trying to finagle him out of bed. I don't know. It's this weird contrived setup for Denzel to lynch this fucker's fingers. Yeah. And then he's like bleeding everywhere. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. And then uh, they, they sort of flop out of the bed and onto the floor. And like, you know, the bed technician is about to put a knife through Denzel's heart or something, which you wouldn't think would be too hard at this point. But then Denzel is like whispering something. And obviously, you know, when someone whispers something in a thriller, you have to figure out what they're saying. Yeah, there's this thing that I hate in thriller movies. And it happens in a lot of other genres too, where right before someone is about to kill someone, yeah, they have to like get their words in. Yeah, like give all the context for them being the killer. There has to be all of this like rambling context and the killer has to make sure that the killee mm-hmm. knows why he's there and what he wanted to say. And it's just like... Even, I don't know, it drives me nuts. Yeah, he starts whispering and naturally the ego of the killer 
is like, what is it you're whispering? I can't hear you. What are your final words, Denzel, before I kill you? And so he leans in and then Denzel bites him. Right in the jugular. And then, and then the guy is like literally bleeding as though someone just slit his throat, which is sort of unbelievable. And then finally, Angelina arrives just in time to shoot him in the back of the head. So when I saw that, I was like, imagine what that would be like if you applied it to a burger. Like the, that jaw force. Oh, you were fantasizing about having that jaw force? Yeah. Oh my God, Tony, this really is weighing on you. Oh. It's okay. It'd be funnier if you made fun of me instead of got sad. Well, I, I don't really feel sorry for you. Well, then why did you say, oh, like I'm a cat that just got kicked? You love food. It's funny that I can't eat and I love food. I suppose it's like slightly ironic. Don't you think? <laughs> a little too ironic. <laughs> it's like food on Tony's plate. But you can't too. <laughs> and it isn't great. So you puree it. And pour it in a glass. But it is not a milkshake. <laughs> All right. Well, does that conclude our analysis of The Bone Collector? It does. What would this movie be called if it was the porn adaptation? Uh, it could just be called The Bone Collector. Yeah, I was going to say The Boned Collector. The Bone Erector. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you have a wheel breakers? Wheel breakers. I have a wheel. I have a wheel breaker for you. Okay. I did, but I'm thinking about it through my head, and I realize I must be missing something because it doesn't make any sense to me. Can we try to work out what you were thinking? I can make you mm -hmm. fully able-bodied, or you can stay disabled, but you can teleport, so you don't have to worry about transfers. Or getting around. You're just disabled when you're staying in places. Does that appeal to you at all? I don't know. It's like a life without any, any journey. You just teleport. Well, you don't have to. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, like, I like the drive between here and Ottawa. I don't know if I would, I would like teleporting. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe for you, the process of, like, getting around... Because, you know, we've talked a lot about your transfers. Yeah. And how they're cumbersome. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe you could be smart about it. I mean, it would obviously be a convenience for sure. But I don't know if it would. I, I think just being able-bodied would be fine. Okay. Well, what if, same deal, mm -hmm. you can stay disabled, but you can teleport. Mm -hmm. Or you're able-bodied. But you always have to walk backwards. Oh, wow. In every situation, I walk backwards? Just like Zoolander can't turn left. Uh-huh. You can't walk forwards. Then I'm going to seem like an idiot who's too into Monty Python or something. People are going to think I'm doing a bit. They're like, can you stop? Like, we're literally... Well, you could just tell them it was either this or be disabled. I know, but I mean, that seems like a really obnoxious thing to do, just walk backwards everywhere you'd also have to get very good at navigating backwards what if i wanted to do like a five mile for cancer or something would i run backwards well that's up to you but you wouldn't be able to go forward oh god 
it's actually a pet peeve of mine. What you know when people are like in a group and they've turned around to talk to their friends uh-huh. and they're walking backwards. Yeah. And yeah. they're walking towards you. First of all, I get scared because you're gonna land in my lap. It's not like I can just grab you by the shoulders and be like, hey, watch out. Oh, they're they're walking backwards toward you, but they're not seeing you. Yeah, they're not looking. Yeah. Because they're looking at their friends. Anyone who isn't looking where they're going. If you're looking down at your phone and you're walking, mm-hmm. if you're looking to your friend and you're not paying attention to where you're going, that is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Have you ever had a texting person like almost walk into your lap? All the time. <laughs> and the thing is, when people hit me, first of all, they think their peripherals are going to serve them well. And they're going to see me because I'm at eye, eye level. But mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm at belly button height at the best. Yeah. So they won't see me. And then when they run into me, it's shin first. So their center of balance just goes wild. And they always have to do like some basketball pick and roll or like brace themselves on my chair somehow mm-hmm. to not end up in my lap. So yeah, that's, that's, I think why I hate it. But because like you, I enjoy the journey. Yeah. It drives me nuts when I see someone, I'm just like, look around. It's like when I'm at, at any, any event and people are just recording the whole thing on their phone. Yeah. It's never like a cool person that accidentally walks into you because only an idiot would walk into you. Yeah, well, because they're they're like, I don't know, they just think whatever's on their phone is more important than whatever's going on around them, especially. The, anyway, would you rather be able-bodied and walking backwards or disabled but teleporting? Disabled but teleporting. I can't, like walking backward again, it's like a weird parlor trick. It's like something that like, I mean, it's so uncool. I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Would you do it even if I hadn't have given you the teleportation? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. It would have made it different. Maybe not. Maybe I would have done it if I couldn't teleport. Then you would walk backwards? Yep. Okay. It it is interesting because I I still, we've been doing this for 30 games now, and I still don't really have a full grasp on your disability value system like I, I still don't fully understand what parts of your disability you really just want to get rid of and be able-bodied and what parts of your disability you're like okay i'll just stay disabled for that i, I never and i like that because i never know what you're gonna say hmm. i feel like if i elaborate on this then i'll just demystify it and it will make your like generating future wheel breakers far less interesting. Yeah, no, I don't want you to tell me. I just want to keep asking you and keep being perplexed. Okay. So wheel. Wheel, yeah. Okay. Do you have one? Uh, so you get to be 100% able-bodied, but um, you cannot make out with your partner. All you can do in place of making out is she can rub the outside of your hand. Everything else is still on the table? Everything else is on the table. Okay. Um, I don't know. Like That's such a fun thing to do. I know, right? It's like really fun. It's hard and to give up. I don't think I'd have any interest in someone rubbing my hands. No, it'd be so weird. It'd be really, like, it wouldn't be weird. It wouldn't bother me. 
Yeah. But it just wouldn't do anything for me. Yeah, and if they used lube, it would just be like, well, whatever. It's like hand Well, then it would be weird, yeah. Yeah. But I'm fully able-bodied. Yeah. And there's no... You're not giving me any sort of erogenous zones in my hands, right? No, of course not. There's not like some secret like knuckle clit or something. No. No, that would be... No, come on. The K-spot? I feel like... I I feel like psychologically you would develop one, you know, like just to just to yeah. live through the situation. That's an interesting thing. They say that people who have a spinal cord injury and end up paralyzed or whatever often do have erogenous zones sort of remapped to like their ears or whatever. Okay, so you're set. I would really miss making out. Yeah, right. I know. It's so fun. I know. I'm sorry, Tony. But I would be fully able-bodied. Right, exactly. What if like, they went in for the kiss? And I was like, can you just rub my hand instead? <laughs> yeah. And every time they try to, you're like, well, no, but my hand. Why do you never, like, that would seem so disrespectful to yeah, me. Wouldn't it? Like, yeah. we'd be hooking up, and they want to kiss me. I'd be like, no, we'll just have sex. Right. Yeah, it could because, yeah, exactly. They're like, well, but I want the intimacy. And I'm like. Okay, rub my hand. <laughs> there would be like such a key component of the whole equation missing. It would throw everything off. Yeah. I think it would just ruin any sort of intimacy for me. Mm-hmm. For us, for both of us involved. Or however many are involved. <laughs> you just have like five people like rubbing your knuckle. <laughs> I got 10 fingers, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think if I do it. I'm saying no wheel. No wheel. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. That's wheel. That's wheel. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wheel, right. wheel, wheel. I always forget. I don't think so. I am glad you asked because now I've been thinking about making out and how much I like it. <laughs> you got to invite someone over to have period burgers, Tony. Yeah, that's always the trick, right? Yep. How many guys cook you burger and then put it in a blender? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to save you the discourtesy of chewing. <laughs> Every other guy makes you chew his food, I'm guessing. Right? <laughs> I want you to have more kissing energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how are we ending this? I think that's it. We ended it. It's done. We're, we're done talking about the bone collector. All right, guys. Thank you for another episode. Yeah, thank you for sticking with us to the 30th episode. 30? Yeah, holy fuck. That's crazy. That's 30 weeks since we started this thing. If you're still listening, first of all, thank you. Yeah. But second of all, like, you know, thank you. Really, really, thank you. And third, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Say it again. (laughs) Thank you. Say it again. No, I'm not going to cut off the hands. Again. No. I was trying to do the Nathan Fielder thing. Oh, yeah. Again. (laughs) Thank you. Again. They don't get the joke, Tony. No one's seen Nathan for you. Tony, conclude the podcast. Okay. (laughs) 